Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. My guest today is the one and only Kyla Gillespie, who is from uh, Canada. Kyla has played professional hockey for a number of years, um, grew up in the church, ended up uh, experiencing same-sex attraction as a teenager and uh, gender dysphoria, transitioned later on in life, and then uh, about uh, six years ago, detransitioned back to her uh, natal sex, a female, and has just a really awesome uh, story, journey, and most of all, just a passionate heart for Jesus Christ, which you will see very clearly in this episode. So please welcome back to the show, the one and only Kyla Gillespie. All right. Hey, Kyla. It's been uh, it's been a minute. Well, it's been like probably two or three years since you're on the podcast, I think, and uh, over a year since you spoke at the first Exiles conference. So anyway, thanks for coming back on Theology Raw. Thank you. It's awesome to be here. It's been a little while for sure. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, so just so our audience knows, like we've done, you know, a lot of things together. We met over email. You reached out to me. Um, I want to say about six or seven years ago, it was shortly after you were kind of at, I think you were just detransitioning or shortly after, I mean, you were, you were in a, a really interesting part of your journey at that time. And and here you are six or seven years later. Yeah, it's been awesome. Um, obviously challenging the last, I, yeah, I think it was like three, four months into my detransition when I reached out to you, uh, all the way from Australia. Right. Got your contact information and it's been, yeah, such a, such a crazy time right now. Yeah. Our mutual friends, uh, Rob and Claire Smith down in Australia, who are just awesome individuals. Shout out to Rob and and Claire. I've been trying to have, have have I had Rob on the podcast? Oh my word. Maybe I haven't had Rob on. So I was actually trying to get Claire on because she's a dynamite New Testament scholar. I I read her her dissertation, which was like a thick, like 400 page book. And I'm like, I knew she, I knew she was a writer and smart and everything, but I didn't know she was like brilliant, brilliant, you know, like, right. <laughs> like, Oh my word, this is crazy. So, well, for people that don't know who you are, why don't you give a, um, yeah, an overview of, of your journey, who you are and where, where God has brought you today. Sure. So I, I grew up in a Christian home on Vancouver Island, which is, uh, just about 45 minute ferry ride from downtown Vancouver, uh, in Canada. And uh, when I grew up, I mean, my life was pretty normal at a young age. I just remember wanting to play hockey with my cousin and my brother. And uh, so I begged my parents to play. And within about a year or so, I was about five, six years old. And then my parents told me that I had to change in a different dressing room. And for me, that was like, I was probably like whatever a normal five-year-old would say is like, oh, why? But that was my first recollection of like being different in my gender. Um, so it was a yeah a moment that I remember um, clearly. And uh, from there, you know, I struggled with same-sex attraction going into my teenage years. Um, at about 14, um, my parents got divorced. And that was really difficult for me because that changed the whole dynamic of my life and my family, my parents getting divorced and really struggling at youth group and at school with same sex attraction. Uh, All my friends started to be attracted to the opposite sex. uh, But that wasn't the case for me. I was being uh, starting to be attracted to the same sex, my friends. And so I just at that age, I mean, it was the 90s, we didn't really have a conversation around this. So I just suppressed it. 
I knew that homosexuality was in the Bible and I had heard like here and there talk about it. Uh, I just knew it wasn't good. So I didn't really know how to talk to anyone about it. We didn't have the conversation. Um, so I became a really angry and, and uh, hurt teenager. I had to really decide who I wanted to live with at the age of 14. Um, I had to choose my mom or my dad to live full time with. And that was difficult because I really loved them both. And so I made that hard choice and I decided to live with my mom full time. That wait, that that's a that's a decision they put on the kid at 14. Well, that's yeah, they asked me who I would want to live with. And for me, that was just so difficult to choose. I felt like, you know, that just put fuel on the fire to this being all my fault. I chose my mom and I lived with her on uh the school days. About a year and a half, two years, they both uh started dating and they got remarried. Uh, my mom, she married an unbeliever and my dad married a woman and she had five kids at the time. And so this really changed the dynamic of going to my dad's on weekends. I shared a room with my stepsister and every weekend I would come there and my room would just be smaller and smaller until all I had was a bunch of boxes in the basement with all my belongings and a single bed. And I just felt that I wasn't uh, welcome there. And my my dad and I, our relationship started to change and, and grow apart. Um, in that time, I was really pursuing my hockey and my sports. So at about the age of uh, 18, I wanted to be scouted for the national program. And uh, here I was still wrestling with same-sex attraction and uh, gender dysphoria. We didn't really have words for it back then or a label or anything. Um, so I just knew that I wrestled with my gender identity. I ended up getting scouted playing hockey in Vancouver, about taking the ferry about three, four times a week and uh, getting scouted for the women's Canadian national program in Calgary, Alberta. Traveling to Vancouver was my first experience in the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, all of a sudden I met other people uh, older than me that had the same experiences. And that was the first time I was like, whoa, like I'm like you, I struggle with same sex attraction. And uh, so it just opened my eyes to a whole different mm. uh, world. And then when I moved to Calgary, Alberta, um, just being so broken at about 18, 19, I took my first drink of alcohol. Um, my dad and I re relationship had pretty much ended. He said it was easier to start over and that broke my heart. Oh, and wow. so I just became an angry uh, teenager, but pursuing my passion in hockey and that became my identity. Is the stereotype somewhat correct? I, I would imagine women's hockey would have a, a good number of LGBT identifying players is that i mean when you said like you when you started pursuing hockey you were were you like that kind of overlap with also getting more involved with lgbtq people or yeah i mean athletics being labeled a tomboy all my life just puts me in a category or a label that uh i kind of just embraced at that time and i think that um you know not just hockey but women's sports we do have a lot of lgbtq women basketball or whatever but um there were quite a few lgbtq people in in all the hockey that i played okay so you're playing now professional well, you said you took your first drink and that led to like a major addiction, right? Yeah. And I didn't know what alcoholism was at 19. I just knew that all my life leading up to 19, God had kind of kept me away from 
protected me really from alcohol because it was so easy in high school to say no to alcohol. And I didn't really understand that when I took my first drink at 19, that I would actually be an alcoholic. And if I knew what alcoholism was, I would have known because I blacked out my first time drinking. I just really drank to not be present anymore and not feel and not have that, uh, you know, brokenness that I was carrying with me. Interesting. Wow. So then now you're playing professional hockey, you're kind of disconnected or yeah, it's cut off from your, your dad, but are you now still in contact with your mom? Yeah, my mom and I had a really close relationship. She helped me, um, you know, like, because at 19, I wasn't really working. So she helped me with finding a place and providing some food for me. And um, she was always really close to me in my life, especially at that time. But as she got married, um, I started to see things change because her and my stepdad drank. It didn't become a problem right away, but there was alcohol involved even in their life. Oh, okay. Wow. All right. We'll keep going. Yeah. Take us forward in your story and yeah, sure. So at 19, taking my first drink, I was able to suppress all the feelings of, um, you know, I knew what the Bible said about homosexuality and all these kind of things. But I felt I battled. I, I read my old journals um, about maybe three months ago, and I really did uh, fight and battle and pray and ask God to take these feelings away so that I could follow him. Um, but being away from the church, being cut off from my family, really just being able to be on phone calls and that I stopped going to church and I gave up at about probably about 21, 23 years old is when I came out as gay. I was just tired of suppressing, tired of fighting. And that's actually when I met somebody that for the first time I was really attracted to and, and probably fell in love with her. Uh, although it didn't come to anything, I realized, hey, this is real in my life and I don't want to fight it anymore. And so I came out as gay when I was 23. And you were still dealing with uh, gender dysphoria, is that right, at the same time? what Can you describe what that experience is like? I mean, I know for everybody it can be kind of different. I hear different descriptions, but and sometimes it's hard to even put into words. But for you, what, what did that experience. Yeah, I was struggling with it. Like I said, at this time, I didn't still didn't have any like label or word for it. I knew that I was a tomboy. I was a masculine gay person, woman. And so I was more on the the scale of being that in the community. Um, I, I just had always been more masculine in, in my demeanor and the way that I behaved and acted and and uh so being attracted to more girl girly girls as you would say or whatever just put me in that category and so when gender dysphoria started to really make a big impact in my 20s was when um i just felt like i was trapped in the wrong body i i felt uncomfortable in my own skin i felt that uh, really, God had made a mistake, and and I was born male, uh, should have been born male, and so it was probably just after that in my 25, 30, 30 years old, those really 
pivotal years of my life where I met other trans people. And then I was able to say, just like when I came out as gay, it took quite a few years of meeting LGBTQ plus people that were struggling. And then the same, I met some trans people. And I, for the first time ever, I was like, as they shared their stories, I could relate. It was so like, I had a safe place to talk about it finally. Okay. And when did you start transitioning? And what was that decision like? Is that, um, I can imagine, I don't know, like that it was incredibly difficult to to even take those steps. But yeah, it was. I remember just being so done. It was being done with alcohol and ruining my life and every relationship and being done fighting uh, gender dysphoria. Um, I remember reaching out, it was probably 2010. And old pastor that pastored me on the island, Vancouver Island, he now lived in Vancouver and really close to me. So I reached out to him and I started to uh, tell him that I was struggling, that I was depressed, that I was anxious, that my dysphoria had gotten so bad that I I felt like I had to transition um, and I needed to help with my drinking. I really put off transitioning because I knew how much it would break my mom's heart. And that was probably the hardest thing that I had to do was come to terms with like, I thought at that time, and I don't know, I think it's selfish now is like, well, I can't live like this anymore. And my mom just has to deal with it. I'm done fighting. And so I remember calling her and my brother and just sharing with them all these things and coming out as trans in 2010, probably about, yeah, I think halfway through the year. And then finally coming into recovery. Okay. Wow. So you took the steps to transition. Physically, is that, was that a a euphoric thing? Was it difficult physically or is it a blend of both? Because I've heard both from people. I've heard, well, I mean, anytime, for for most people, I think, and this is, I guess, a a statement in the form of a question. (laughs) For most people, you know, taking testosterone in particular, it does have an immediate euphoric feeling for anybody i mean i you know i played athletics and guys would sneak you know they would be shooting up and stuff and and man they just feel like they can conquer the world you know but then there's kind of a a little bit shorter or midterm kind of effect where there's just bouts of anger mood swings and just like they kind of start feeling not so good what was that that experience like for you in particular like taking tea yeah that time i had a full-time job and i was kind of coming out as trans taking testosterone here in Canada, the government pays for uh, transition. And so the government paid for uh, me to speak to certain physicians and an endocrinologist. And in that they do blood work and we get assessed where we should go. And the first six months is like 0.5 milliliters of testosterone. So it's very, very little for the six first six months. Okay. And I remember not really feeling much at all. Um, wanting so bad to feel different and look different. And that was probably a really frustrating time in the transition. It was probably after that six months when he um upped my testosterone to over a, a one milligram of testosterone and then another like probably three to four months before I really started to see differences all of a sudden I'm working and people are not misgendering me really but actually thinking that I'm male 
And, and then I started to see a difference. Um, I wouldn't say like any facial hair or any voice change um, happened within the first year, it would take quite a few years before I would feel anything. But yeah, I would start to feel more masculine. And then I realized, and I, I don't know if I've ever shared this, but I realized right from the beginning that I had to learn how to be a man. And if I would have seen those signs, what I see now, how God created me female, then maybe I would have been able to realize, hey, you know, I was born female and no matter what I do, that won't ever change. Yeah. Wow. But I didn't. I wanted this so bad and no one was going to get in my way. So how long, and, and I've seen pictures of you, you know, you, you've shown me pictures when, when you're fully transitioned. Yeah, you passed, I mean, pretty, like, I was like, I would not at all think that you were biologically female, like, in, in your, in yeah. your, like, yeah, a few years into your transition. So how long did you live as a man then? Yeah, just uh, about six years. So 2011, okay. uh, 11, I started mid 2011 on testosterone i started the process in 2010 near the end of that year and then as i came out to everyone it was 2011 and then i decided to detransition and get off of testosterone in 2017 did when you were transitioning you know one story is one story and so when we're asking kind of practical questions you know there's yeah, I just don't want to, I want to make sure that people don't read everybody's trans experience, you know, through the lens of one story. Um, so with that caveat, you know, like whatever you say is, you know, true to you, it might not be someone else's experience, but did transitioning, you know, you had these kind of, I mean, issues going on, you're angry, you're dealing with an addiction, you're, you have gender dysphoria. Um, did it, the transitioning alleviate, well, in specific, I guess, specifically the gender dysphoria for you, did it alleviate that distress? Yeah, I would say for almost like 95% alleviated. Okay. Um, I always say to Preston that my my experiences are always my story and my experiences. Um, not every trans person will, will experience what I experience. Like you said, once you meet trans people, the spectrum of dysphoria and this, and even how people, um, you know, use trans it could be different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. From person so, to person, I feel like it means something different sometimes. Right. And, and, and I always like to make that, um, very clear, but yeah, I would say that it did alleviate a lot. Um, I felt more comfortable in my body when I looked at the mirror mm -hmm. and I saw Bryson, that was my chosen name. I, I thought that, yeah, this is who, who I was supposed to be. And that was real to me. Um, because I, and I think I shared this quite a few years ago on your podcast, it was just a real distorted view of how I looked, I was labeled misgendered all my entire life, and I felt more masculine. And when I looked in the mirror, I saw a man I thought more masculine. And so um, when I realized that that's not what I looked like looking back from Bryson to Kyla pictures in my youth and all that, I could see that I was female looking back. Interesting. So what led to your, yeah, your, your desire to detransition? Was that a growing process? Was it a Jesus encounter? Or was it like what? It was a little bit of everything, probably a couple of years. I was about five, four or five years into my transition 
and um, new people took over the ministry in recovery, which I had to go to in early recovery. It was mandatory for us to go to. And that reco- uh, recovery ministry was God Rock. It was very like, yeah, we had a pastor and, and he preached, but it, it was very open and accepting of every single person. And the word of God was spoken, but we didn't do anything. It was a ministry. So we didn't do community groups or home groups or anything like that. So we weren't engaging a lot outside of the ministry. It was probably about four or five years into the ministry where I was still going and new people took over God Rock. And that was, I talk about Jess and BJ and Kyle and Heidi a lot, uh, my closest friends here. And then we got planted as a church. And I think that that was one of the biggest things because they started to do community groups and home groups. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started to go and we were digging into the word of God and we were becoming super close in our relationships. But here I had like 30 something years of this big other life secret. And at this time in my transition, I was just considered, I I wanted to be called stealth trans. So what that is, is like, I didn't want anyone to know my biological sex. And I just walked, walked around through the world, uh, just as Bryson male. um, And I would tell whoever I wanted to, if it was safe and I felt that I could trust them. So did the the ministry, the BJ and Jess, did they know you were trans or no? Or no, early on. No, I don't think they ever knew. Um, Kyle and I had uh, went through recovery together, um, and so like there was about five years of knowing each other, but it was a secret that I believe he kept and I kept. By that time, I, I mean I fully passed, yeah. and so he embraced me as as Bryson, and we were kind of walking that out together. Okay. Did did you start to experience any kind of transition regrets aside from kind of your your growing encounter, re-encounter with Christ? Or, or was it purely a spiritual kind of motivation that caused you to want to detransition back to female? Yeah, that's a good question. I honestly really didn't give it any thought. Um, yeah, it was the back of my mind. Um, I knew who I was before my transition, but I I just thought I could follow Jesus and be transgender and and Bryson. Um, But as I started to dig into the word of God and see, like, for me, just seeing how important gender was and and even with same-sex attraction, how, how I look at Genesis and how God created sex and marriage to be between one man and one woman and his design, he said, was very good for these things. And and then I started to think, oh, man, like, do I believe everything that the Bible says? And am I willing to submit anything and everything to him no matter what? But it didn't come to my radar until probably a year before my transition, my detransition. Oh, okay. So you were having kind of a spiritual awakening or like, you know, revisiting the text of scripture. Yeah. Before you started to detransition. So, so it seems like your, your, your renewed spiritual outlook had a pretty significant cause for you to want to detransition. Yeah. And then I started to see like Jess and Heidi and Kyle and BJ do biblical manhood and womanhood so well and how the church functioned in uh, in these roles, 
uh, I started to feel the actual weight of what it would look like for me to be a, a man as the Bible calls us to be. And that weight weighed too heavy on me. I realized that I couldn't carry that weight and do everything that God was asking a biological male to do because I saw it done well. Can you unpack and, what you mean by that biblical manhood? Because that, that's a that could be a kind of a volatile phrase these days, you know. <laughs> it is. And and that's why it's hard sometimes to share these things because we have to realize that we're all in different places. We're all um interpreting scripture differently. We we can't put my time frame or my experience onto another trans person we just need to be as the church in the word of god loving one another and walking together and and pointing people to the beauty and the glory of jesus and and allowing it's not me or you that changes someone it's it's jesus the holy spirit himself and uh yeah so when i started to see and this is a big word too submission <laughs> done properly <laughs> Living the life of being a tomboy and always having, unfortunately, to act a certain way over my life just became tiring. And so when I see that I saw manhood and womanhood done biblically well, I saw that Jess and Heidi had this freedom to be who God created them to be, to uh, encourage and teach. And and then I saw Kyle and BJ using their God-given gifts to lead and to, uh, you know, do all these things in biblical ways. And, and then I just felt like I honestly thought I wanted to marry a godly woman. And that really challenged me to think about would a godly woman want to marry a trans person would that be biblical to them or how would that look and that just unpacked a lot of questions a lot of hard questions that i had so you're rest i mean going back to this part of your story i mean you're wrestling with a lot of not just physical stuff and in recovery and now spiritual things thrown at you and new relationships how would you describe your now your newfound christian community did they how did they how did they i guess walk with you through what is a multi-faceted complex part of your journey here yeah um so i just remember jess coming to me about a year and a bit before and she just sat beside me and she felt the holy spirit call her to sit beside me it was actually a pivotal time in my life because I wasn't going to return back to God Rock. I I was done. Um, there was some conflicts and stuff in recovery that I was dealing with, and I just felt that I didn't belong there. And that might have been my last time. And and I remember her just walking to me and sitting beside me, and we just talked for like an hour or more. And right in that instant, even when I ask her now, she says it was in that instant that it was just so easy for us to connect. And she didn't know that I was female or yeah, born female. And so she just obeyed the Holy spirit to go talk to a guy 
and then we started to build a relationship, but it was more Kyle and, and BJ that I had the closest relationship with, um, because they were walking with me, discipling me, mentoring me as Bryson. So what they did, which I believe that we need to do as, as Christians and as the church is meet people where they're at. I already was fully transitioned five transition. Um, there was no thought of detransitioning. Um, my legal name was changed. My legal marker was changed to male. If someone would have came up to me and said, Oh, you know, like I, I heard that you're transgender and you were born female, you must detransition. Like I would have been out of there so fast because I wouldn't have felt like I was loved and cared for. Um, like I believe that we're, we're called to love and care for people coming into the church, uh, I would have felt like more of a project or more of something that you believe. And then you must put that on me, the weight of that on me. But they didn't even know if I was a Christian, really, at first. So expecting um, me to do something, maybe not even filled with the Holy Spirit, maybe not even saved. How am I going to have the power to do anything in Christ? That That's so good. And so, I mean, I'm hearing you say, so now we're, I'm hearing you almost say like, now this is not just your individual story, but this is probably a better approach in general to, you know, I'm, I'm sure people are listening and they have, you know, trans people come to their church or, you know, the, the question we get all the time, you know, what do we, what do we do if someone's transitioned, they come to our church and they want to become a member or, um, or they were baptized and like, do we say we must detransition? Do we not? Like, right. I mean, I get this question all the time. I'm sure you do too. So can you, yeah, can you just maybe unpack maybe more of a, you know, what is a more general kind of Christian approach to trans people wherever they're at in their journey and, and how the church should should respond? Because, I mean, it's a lot of media hype these days, a lot of anger, a lot of documentaries, a lot of, you know, stuff going around. I just see a ton of anger and fear and, and anger and, and misunderstanding and stereotyping. And, and yeah, I, I think we the church desperately needs guidance in this conversation. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree too. Um, the only thing, well, not the only thing, but the one thing that I can say is they, the four people that walked really close to me, they loved Jesus and his word more than they loved anything. Hmm. And so because they had that intimate personal relationship with him, they were compelled to love well with compassion because they were being made more like jesus and when we love him and we see his beauty and we're in awe of him i think we can't help but to love and have compassion for one another and so that is a huge part of it now there's a big difference with somebody I, I just recently asked Jess and Heidi, you know, about like, how how did you walk this out? I've asked them many times, like, how did you walk this? They did say one thing, though, that I was soft to the word of God okay. um, already. And huh. I did. I always loved the Bible. I always loved Jesus. I see his faithfulness through my life. And even though for a long period of time, I fell away from Christ. I see that he held me. Um, and I had to come to the end of myself in order to see how beautiful he was. 
And um, so that's a big thing because um, when we're walking with people and someone says, hey, can you walk with me? I want to do whatever the Bible says. Yeah. And that's what we did. We put the authority of the Bible. We we all agreed that we wanted to live that out the best that we could and then extend grace to one another um, because they were going to make mistakes and hurt me and I was going to be defensive, which I was, and hurt them. And yeah. so that's the beauty of uh, a relationship when we are focused on Jesus is that we are able to extend grace I believe more graciously because we want to honor him and, and serve him and love others. Well, so I believe we have to remember that every single person trans or not were made and created in the image of God, a Mago day. And our value is infinite. Mm. We are so valued by God and should be valued by one another especially in the church, if we understand the full gospel yeah. for us, yeah. ourselves, and then understand it for everybody else. Well, and that's so important because, I, I mean, it seems like more and more in our culture today, people are more than ever, maybe, I don't know, more than ever, but really hungering for that, right? I mean, to feel valued and and to be um, seen as worthy and, and to... to, to beloved as a dignified person you know like i just when when people come to the realization that there is a creator and that creator made them to be his masterpiece that god doesn't just love us he actually likes us he delights in us he doesn't delight in our sin but delights in us even when we sin like even when we he doesn't delight in his delight in us isn't like well you messed up so now i'm kind of like not kind of you know sick of you and you're disgusting to me and like oh okay now you did something good okay now i delight in you ah you messed up and it's not he delights in our humanity and he grieves when we fall into destructive behavior but it's a grief right it's it's a i want it's his heart saying i want my creation to live according to my design and i know that that's the way they're going to flourish best and it's that kind of posture but um it's hard because you're i mean it, <laughs> i think it might have thrown us a curveball because you said you know one of the things about BJ and Jess and the people you're, you know, you're interacting with is because they were so committed to the word of God. Like that was a priority. And I was going <laughs> to, I thought you were going to say, and therefore, you know, they knew I was a female and they, they needed me to detransition because they uphold, held the truth of the word of God. But you, you went towards because they upheld the word of God. Therefore they went towards compassion mm-hmm. and love and grace and listening and understanding and meeting someone where they're at. That's not always the case though, with people yeah. that are like, you know, this is going to be kind of a, a derogatory statement, but, you know, Bible thumpers, you know. Right. But this is a Bible thumping in the other direction of like, no, it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. So the more we dive into the word of God, the more kind and gracious and compassionate we should be. But that's not why, why, why is that not happening as much as it should in the church, especially with regard to LGBTQ related questions? Yeah, I think there's so many different reasons why it's not. Um, I think our vertical relationship with Jesus is a big thing. Like if we're not having that abiding relationship with Christ, then we're not being filled. We're cutting off uh, that relationship to be more like him. Um, So then when I'm empty and I am not in the word and I'm thirsty and I'm dry and I'm struggling, then, then I'm just living 
out myself and people don't need more of me. It's gross. <laughs> they need more of him. And I think we try to do that so often is like, oh, I'm going to love people in my own strength. Yeah. That, that, that's not always great. Yeah. It's yeah. never great. Actually, we need supernatural love and compassion that only he can give. The other thing is that's so important that I think we do wrong is we always, no, I shouldn't say we always, but a lot of times what we do is we have like a time frame for someone to arrive, mm. but we're never going to arrive until we get to heaven or he comes back. Jesus comes back. We are always going to be sanctified. That's a big word, but mm -hmm. it, you know, we're always going to be changing to become more like him. And so when we say, I'm going to love you until mm -hmm. or unless it doesn't mean that we stray away from telling people hard truth because they did, but they never stopped loving me and being abandoned from my dad and everything. I had so many walls up also being treated not great most of my life because I was different. I didn't trust everybody. And so what I needed to see and I saw in these people where my walls started to come down is that and it took it took years and years of just continuing to tell me you belong, you're loved, you are accepted here. We do care about you. We love you. And it's that agape love that Christ shows for us that we want to extend to others is that just unconditional love for one another. This episode is sponsored by AG1 by Athletic Greens. Okay, so I love having energy and feeling good. And the older I get, the more important my health is to me. And so I try to exercise regularly and eat well, but even healthy diets don't usually give you all the nutrition you need. So the best nutritional supplement I found is AG1. And I'm not just saying this because AG1 is paying me to say this. I've been taking AG1 for several months before they started sponsoring the podcast. In fact, I reached out to them to say, you know, can I advertise your product because I love it so much. I typically take it uh, once a day, sometimes twice a day. And I honestly have been feeling so good. Just one daily serving of AG1 blasts my body with nutrition and supports my long-term gut health with 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients. AG1 not only boosts your energy, but it supports your immune system and your gut health, which is super important for your overall health and well-being. So if you're looking for a simpler and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. So if you go to athleticgreens.com forward slash T-I-T-R. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash T-I-T-R to check it out and take advantage of the special offer. I want to ask you a hard question and I don't expect you to have an ironed out answer, but like, um, you know, you, you came in soft, you were soft to the word of God. They met you where they're at, you're at. They loved you unconditionally and you ended up deciding to detransition. And, and I know that wasn't because they demanded that. Um, I think they probably, I would assume that they believed that that was probably a, a good discipleship decision, but they weren't mandating that you do that in their timing, <laughs> in your opinion, I guess, a frame it like that, you know, how, how do you, what is your advice to 
other Christians walking with other trans people who might be in a similar spot, but maybe we are or aren't soft with the word of God, maybe don't feel the need to detransition. Maybe they are soft with the word of God, but they also don't, they're like, I'm not feeling the detransition thing, you know, like how do you, how would you recommend non-trans people, Christians who are maybe have people in their life that are trans and maybe transition? Like what, what does that look like to walk with somebody? And I know I'm asking a, you know, I guess the right response is, well, it depends on each individual, you know? So, but, but in general, yeah, what kind of advice would you give to somebody who um, maybe is out there who has a trans person in their life? I've been really digging and wrestling with this exact thing because I am being asked more uh, as I speak and as I step out in this conversation, like, what does this look like? What, like, where do you stand in this area? what is okay and what is not and what and so i've weeped over this because i don't want us just to be people that speak on this conversation and and listeners hear whatever they want to hear and then they use that against somebody yes, yes 100%. Uh, that's and that that breaks my heart what i want you to hear is that he's enough that I believe when we surrender everything, so this is the other part of that conversation is I also saw them do everything well in the church where um, if you wanted to be a leader and you wanted to do more in the church, it was equal ground for everyone. So it didn't matter if I was transgender, uh, or if the drummer was living with a non-believer and, you know, like what that looked like, um, we were all equal in that. And I think that once we do that, then there's an equal ground for everyone. And then we want to dig into the word of God and, and read it and see God's design I do believe that the call for every single Christian is the same Mm. to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Mm. Now surrender might look different in areas of each of our lives. God asked me to surrender my transition to him. He said that I was living against his design for me as female and so what I did was one of the hardest things is in obedience. I just said, God, I, I want to surrender whatever you ask me and having everything in open hands to him, like nothing's off limit. And so when when we are digging into the word of God, I believe that as the Holy Spirit works through the word and we see his good design. You said it's the best place for us as humans to flourish is to live inside his design. So if I believe the Bible is true and real and living and breathing and I submit my life to it, then I have to be obedient. And I don't see scripture any other way Mm -hmm. uh, as I interpret it, as I live it out, as God's spoken to me other than gender is so important to him. I, I, you know, I mean, I, I agree with everything you're saying and I've, you know, in in case somebody doesn't know, I mean, I've, you know, I've I've written 
on this topic from a theological perspective and philosophical, not, not obviously from a personal perspective. Um, and I, you know, as I've wrestled with kind of the, the ethics of transitioning, like I came to the conclusion, I, I do think scripture says, you know, our biological sex is a significant part of human identity and that should be upheld and embrace, um, you know, as, as part of God's design. So I, I don't, I can't justify on a scriptural level, the, the morality of transitioning. Okay. So that's my, that's my biblical view. And I hold that, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot of complexities. I mean, I spent several chapters in my book, but what about this? What about that? You know, so that that's where my theology is at where, where I hold that in, I don't even know if the intention with, but like, you know, and you, you sure, you know, people aside from even yourself that, you know, I, I can think of two or three friends in particular that the dysphoria was so severe so crippling that transitioning was kind of a last ditch effort to survive. And, and I, sorry, I'm going to give a lot of caveats here because it's such a sensitive conversation. So please bear with yeah. me. <laughs> I, 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 I do think the, you know, the suicide narrative is on the one hand, incredibly touchy and sensitive and ex- excruciating. I've lost friends to suicide. I've had really dear people in my life that have struggled with suicidality. I also see it also can be weaponized too. Like sometimes parents are told, do you want an alive son or a dead daughter? As if that's the binary option, either you transition your 15 year old or they're, they are going to end up committing suicide. I think that's a absolutely irresponsible thing to say to a parent. So it's complex. So, so all that to say, I, 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 I want to acknowledge the complexity of suicidality, how it's being used sometimes and, 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 and weaponized in some cases. Um, but there, you know, for somebody who, legitimately has had crippling dysphoria transitioning was a last ditch effort and it uh it did alleviate the dysphoria and for years for like it did there's no regret there's like i can't imagine going back to that state of dysphoria i would literally i would just end up killing myself you know and i have a few friends that are in that category and so they look at me you know and say what <laughs> What do you think I should do? <laughs> I'm like, I can't say, yes, the Bible says your transition was the right thing to do. I, I just, I can't, I have not encountered that argument before on a scriptural or theological or even philosophical level. However, I can't, I don't, I don't, I, I honestly don't know. I don't know. I, I don't have a good pastoral, certainly not a good psychological response to, okay, then what do I do in my state? Do I go back to my birth sex and basically, Either await kind of a miracle from God. Maybe there's some kind of psychotherapy I haven't engaged in. And that's where that's outside of my pay grade. I don't, I don't you know, some people would say, no, there there are kinds of psychotherapy that would alleviate the dysphoria to the point of where somebody could actually survive. Maybe there's other things that are intertwined with the dysphoria that haven't been in, in unraveled, you know? And, and again, these are questions outside of my area of expertise. So I don't, I don't, and, and I'm not... I'm not dodging the question. I just want to acknowledge how in some cases it can be extremely pastorally complex. And that's where I, I don't, I don't know. Do you have, do you have any thoughts? I mean, I, I would love your feedback on that. Cause I mean, here's me as a non-trans non-gender dysphoric person wrestling with this on a theological level. And yet people are asking, well, what kind of pastoral guidance can you, can you give? And I don't, I'm going to throw it on you, Kyla, what kind of pastoral guidance in those kind of situations? Is it just kind of, you know what, love them, trust God and, and acknowledge the complexity and, and, Sit, sit in that space forever? I mean, I don't know. It's difficult. And that's why I believe that we can't just treat people like everybody else or like me, like 
oh, yeah. you're a trans person, your name is whatever, you must be like Kyla. Mm. No. Um, that's why we got to meet people where they're at, because this is real. I was suicidal. The dysphoria was so bad that I didn't think I could live anymore. However, I also didn't submit my life to him and every area. And so there was a, I was always trying to fill that void of where only God could completely fill me because we were created only for him to fill that one place. Marriage isn't going to fix it. You know, singleness isn't going to fix it. Transition's not going to fix it. Alcohol is not going to fix it. Money is not going to fix it. Nothing's going to fix it. Only he can. And so what I, what I see is that the struggle is going to be a lifetime probably i i have never been fully healed or uh completely experienced freedom in this area i have to submit and weep and cry mm -hmm. and talk to my friends a lot mm -hmm. near the beginning it was every day even I think that's why I'm so grateful for what you do, Preston, is because you gave me a place to be able to uh, give hope um, at such an early area and, and time in my life. Uh, it gave me that God-given purpose that I feel he called me to. And so I thank you for that. But we just need to realize that we're all on our own path and journey if we believe in Christ, then let's point each other to him. Yeah. Let's walk together in the hard times. And that's what I breaks my heart is that not everyone has the community that I have. Yeah. And people are struggling alone in these. Um, I can feel depressed and, and suicidal, so to speak, um, and not wanting to be here anymore because I hate this struggle sometimes so bad. Um, it doesn't mean that I want to end my life. It means that I want it to be fixed. Mm. I want it to be how God created it to be in the beginning, where I have congruence with my brain and my body and my my soul, and everything is in congruence and perfectly together like he created it to be before the fall. Um, I I desire that so deeply for every trans person. Uh, because I know what it feels like to struggle. And so as people walking with other trans people, I think that we just need to meet them with mm -hmm. compassion. Now, Jessa and Heidi and Kyle had to say some really difficult things in my life that hurt. But mm. if we listening to the Holy Spirit speak, which they did, they took courageous steps of faith yeah. to tell me hard things. And do you think that they wanted my my our relationship to end because it could have i could have got defensive and said i'm taken off there was one really close place where where i was hurt that i was like i don't know if i can do this anymore hmm. but they literally hunted me down wow. and came and found me and said no come closer kyla bryson at the time come closer to us don't run what a beautiful picture gosh i, I know you keep talking about setting a, a conversation with bj and jess and you and yeah, we need to do that. Cause I, I, I would love to yeah, get to know them more. Um, you know, I, it was something I thought of, I mean, even, even sit, sitting in the tension is not a cop out that can be part like lament, lamenting. It can be part of discipleship, like a necessary part. 
not a sidestep, but actually part of the discipleship journey, sitting in that complex, confusion, difficult tension um, and lamenting that we live in a creation that has been marred by sin and is introduced all kinds of things that interrupt God's original design, you know? Um, yeah. Even lamenting something like gender dysphoria that can be so, from what I, you know, my, my outside perspective can be just so complex and excruciating and debilitating and confusing. And, and it's just, we can lament that people even have to experience something like this. Has your, so you've been detransitioned back to your birth sex for about six years now. So how would you describe your dysphoria during when you were transitioned versus now? Is it back to where it was prior to your trans transition? Is it, can you manage it more? Where, where does that look like for you? And I know, again, every, everything's, everybody's different, but. Yeah, as I was being discipled at the very beginning and, and just people walking with me, I started to be taught that because my dysphoria was so high um, as I was detransitioning even, it's like um, I sometimes just have to show up. I didn't want to go to home group. My dysphoria was so bad. I didn't want to walk into the church where I would spend hours before that struggling to get ready and then feel just brokenness. And I shared that in, you know, with you in your book, Um, my dysphoria, like everyone was just staring at me and picking at the pieces and misgendering me and telling me I wasn't female enough. And that just created such anxiety that I could barely even leave my room sometimes. But as I just put one foot in front of the other, this is the thing, I wasn't doing it alone. There was other people that were even discipling me that didn't want to show up every day. But we just did because being together was better than doing it alone. I learned in early recovery that isolation kills. And, And that's what I used to do is I just used to remove myself and isolate myself. And that's where the enemy can come in and just kick us around when we're alone and tell us lies. And and we just get into this tunnel vision of just being super alone and lonely and there's no hope. We need to be around each other. And so as I walked that out, um, it wasn't until Preston, your book came out. So that was probably like, what, two years before I wrote that? Yeah. 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 And then um, I got your book and I'm reading it and there's my part of gender dysphoria. And I remember just breaking down and crying and I called Jess like that instant. And I'm like, Jess, the, the dysphoria that I, I gave to Preston two years ago, I don't feel that in that degree anymore all the time. And I, and I was like, Whoa, God has actually done some healing in the deepest parts of my gender identity. And he's given me some kind of ability to live with it and to live in some kind of congruence, but not always. I'm curious in your, I'm going to ask you to self-diagnose, which, you know, is, is, can be sketchy, but um, do you think in in your experience is your gender dysphoria, is it related with gender stereotypes? Because I've heard you talk about you know just just the just the thought of being in a certain environment where you're going to be made to feel not like a real uh woman you know like if you're in an environment that had completely had accepted women as maybe more masculine as long you know like cuz these are you know personality things that aren't like holy or not holy 
according, you know, I, I don't think they are. Um, so you like play hockey or, you know, you're, you're more whatever, like you like tomboyish type things. Okay. Who cares? Yeah. Just be godly, follow Jesus. And that's what, you know, like if you're in an environment that had that, that didn't like exacerbate those kind of gender stereotypes, does, is that intertwined with your dysphoria? Like to put it yeah. the opposite, like if you're in an environment where like, oh, girls are expected to, you know, wear pink dresses and sit home and make babies. And then guys are expected to go out and chop wood or whatever. And like, if you're in that kind of environment, would would, would that exacerbate your dysphoria? Yeah, I think so. It's when a lot of times when I don't know people and I don't know how safe I am with them. Okay. Uh, that can trigger some of my gender dysphoria, but my gender dysphoria usually happens anyway before I even step into a public place, um, which used to make it so difficult. Uh, my gender dysphoria is so intertwined into everything that I've had to really ask God, like, could you show me actually like rip apart some of the intertwined places where it's meeting me in certain times and areas um, of my life, maybe situations. And can you actually give me some knowledge or understanding of it so I could understand it better so I could walk through it? Uh, not, not just easier, but I want to know why I do things, why these things affect me, what kind of things might help these areas yeah. of my life um now if an environment say god rock was really like overbalanced on what a female should be and looks like and it's not biblical that probably would affect okay. how i feel because with my family at my church my local family and a, as a member when we meet i'm just allowed to be myself i think i beat myself up more hmm. than anyone sometimes for not looking more feminine or not acting more feminine and i've had to lay that at the foot of the cross and say i can't be anyone what i want to be god is i want to be a godly woman yeah. yeah with what you've given me right Right. And, and then use the gifts and the talent and all these things for your glory. Yeah. But I can't be anyone else. That's so good. I remember the first time we did our first filming together. Now that makes sense. I mean, here you're in a, you're going on video, a film, lots of people are going to watch it. You're around, you know, camera people that you don't know. And I remember that you, you were getting spikes of dysphoria and, and I, I could, I saw it in you. I mean, this is only like a, maybe six months, nine months in, into your detransition. Like you were just fresh I living as a woman, you know, um, again. So that makes sense when you said like, yeah, new environments, people you don't know, kind of the unknown and, and knowing that now you're, you, you can get in your own head even and start to, you know, oh man, that's. Gosh, I, 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 we only have a few more minutes left, Kyla, but I, I, I would love to get your thoughts on something we, have, we haven't even talked about, like, because you do, I mean, you're doing more and more work in this area and help, helping churches and Christians and, and you know, obviously talking with other trans people. I want to talk about youth culture is, is where I'm trying to go, because um, there's obviously, a you know, a very high rate of teenagers now identifying as trans or, or you know, other identities, non-binary, genderqueer, genderfluid. Um have you spoken into that specific part of this conversation and what have you learned in, and maybe what kind of advice can you give to church leaders um, in particular or parents, maybe you have kids who are identifying 
yeah, what 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 words of wisdom do you have to give give to us as as you know we think specifically about kind of youth culture in this conversation? Right. So this conversation is happening all around us, regardless. Uh, if our Christian homes want to have this conversation, uh, or our church wants to have this conversation, and that's why I'm so passionate to share my testimony and be vulnerable, is because when I look back, I I don't think my pastor or my church did anything specifically wrong. They loved me. They just didn't know how to walk with anyone like me. And so I, we weren't creating and, and um, cultivating a place at youth group where I would even feel comfortable going to my closest people or the youth pastor and saying, Hey, you know, like same sex attraction is something that I'm feeling, you know, towards the girls and the church. Uh, what do I do with that? How do I follow Jesus and still wrestle with this? Because I felt I was disqualified because I had a, a distorted view of God's character and really uh, the gospel itself is that I can come as I am. And having same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria and all these kind of things, they don't disqualify, disqualify me from following him. That would have been a real game changer for me. Uh, and I think that we need to do that in our churches, cultivate uh, a place where we're obviously discerning with age age groups, uh, how much we share and how much we tell and where we tell them, make sure the parents are aware of what we're doing. But we need to have these conversations because they are happening. And someone is going to find out somewhere down the line. And they're going to, if they don't feel loved in the church or at their youth group, we're going to go outside that area and find belonging and love because that's who we were created to be, to uh, find belonging and love um, elsewhere. And it's dangerous. Yeah. How do we cultivate that where we're at in our homes and in, in the church? Do you think that's re directly related to the, the high numbers of trans people identify or sorry, teenagers identifying as trans that there's a, uh, uh, partly at least maybe a desire for belonging and, and they can find that in, in a trans community at their school or something, or that's even that, even, even asking that question, I know is can be hotly uh, disputed because then you're like, well, they're just, you know, chasing a trend or something or, right. you know. Yeah, it is. It's hard to answer. It could be. Um, I remember, like I said earlier, when I found the LGBTQ plus community coming from a Christian home and, you know, never experiencing that and then experiencing it, that other people have this experience. And now I have safe places to share, even if it's not Christian environment, I had a place where we could relate. And that's what we need to do. We need to relate to others, no matter where, whether it's gender dysphoria or same sex attraction, Preston, like, what do you, what do you struggle with? Yeah. Like, because we all struggle in all some sudden, area. Yeah. Yeah, can we find commonality rather than uh, differences all the time um, in humanity? And so, yeah, rapid onset gender dysphoria could be created or or cultivated because we want to fit and belong, and this is a place where we do. Or I say we never have the right to really uh, judge somebody who says they're struggling with gender dysphoria and say, oh, but you're not in the percentile. I don't believe you're really struggling with gender dysphoria. Yeah, I think this is not, onset gender dysphoria. 
That's like, not we don't, a good approach. Yeah. No, we don't have the right to do that. We got to treat everyone. Okay. You're really rustling and struggling and this is painful for you. Can I meet you there? Yeah. And so, sometimes in, in this conversation and, and just to put it plainly for people that might not know exactly, you know, there's a, a big debate, you know, in this conversation, whether this kind of really skyrocketing number of trans people identify as trans, you know, are they really trans? And then it's like, well, what does that mean to be really trans? And, or is there, you know, social influences that are, uh, well, social factors influencing people to identify as trans, you know, maybe they're, they're lonely and isolated and they see a community of trans people at school. And, and in some context that can earn you more social collateral, you know, I've talked to people that, you know, said to be trans was more highly praised than to not be trans, you know, and, and some, maybe more progressive environment. So, and then people say, well, no, that's, you know, it's, this is real, you know, they're, they're trans this number of trans people have always existed and, and it's not a social contagion or whatever. Anyway, one thing people don't realize is even if certain cases of someone experiencing gender dysphoria did have a social influence, that doesn't mean the dysphoria is any less real. They are still wrestling uh, maybe significantly, um, whatever the cause is, whether it's a social environment, whether it's biological, whether it's a blend of both, most likely it's things we're social beings. It's probably a blend of both, you know, that doesn't mean their experience is any less real. It doesn't mean like making it up or don't really have dysphoria. I mean, again, maybe, maybe, but that's, unless you're a qualified psychologist that knows the person very, very well, you don't have the, <laughs> you don't have the ability to make that call. So it goes back to your point that John one fourteen, right? Like Jesus, Incarnate, incarnated, laying a pattern of of the word becoming flesh and and embodying both grace and truth, and that's the pattern we need to take with somebody wherever they're at in life. Yeah, yeah, and I think of it like this: What if that person isn't actually experiencing gender dysphoria? They're experiencing something that's hard enough that they feel anxious or they feel yeah. these feelings. Um, and so we live in a world where we anxiety is so high right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, COVID didn't help. Uh, isolation doesn't help. You know, we, we've got social media everywhere. We're being influenced, um, all those kind of things, but we just have to get on a little, like a practical level with one another that we're going, we're walking this life out and, and we live in a broken world. Uh, Broken sexuality is something that every single person experiences, whether or not it's one extreme or another. Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, but let's just do life together. Let's walk this out. Let's let's be real people with one another. Kyla, that's a great word to end on. Um, thank you so much for coming back on the show. I just love talking to you. And I love that you, you continue to speak into this. This is not an easy conversation to speak into. Some, some people assume like, well, if you're same sex attracted or you're trans or used to be trans or whatever like oh so this is just the path that god has laid out for you but it's like it's not easy it's not yeah so thank you for yeah. being an awesome voice and i want to point people to your website um it's in sure. the show notes should be in the show notes but kyla gillespie.com uh k-y-l-a-g-i-l-l-e-s-p-i-e.com i don't know why i'm spelling it out just click on the show notes below so I, we didn't talk about it, but I mean, are, are you doing more? What does your ministry look like? How would you describe what you do? I mean, because I know you're you're getting asked to speak more on this topic. Yeah, I, I just really go wherever God leads me. Um, when he opens doors, I, I say yes. And so that can be in any environment, whether it's meeting with a, a teen or an adult, uh, meeting with parents and talking with them. Uh, I get lots of emails. Um 
you know, I speak where, like I said, wherever God opens that door podcast where I can, um, because I think I remember struggling in in silence and I don't want anyone to struggle in silence yeah. if they want to reach out if they want to talk to me uh let's have this conversation and then just you know my passion and desire for the church to do this better so I you I, I'm on your website now you have a contact page so you're okay people reach because you might get a flood of emails after this yes absolutely so here's contact here's me. I just I just want to say this though like uh, answering emails doesn't pay the bills too so you have a and look I this is Kyla, she's probably gonna be embarrassed. I'm gonna say you have a donate section here on your website and a contact section. I would highly encourage people because I, th- I think a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, my kid just came out as trans. I, I I would love to talk to Kyla. How do I navigate this? So you're probably gonna get maybe a good deal of messages. Um, for those who are reaching out, I would highly encourage you. Please do uh, donate too. I mean, this is part of part of how you kind of make a living. So um, yeah, just answering emails all day and responding to people uh, doesn't put food on the table, but donations do. So please do be generous with your donation for Kyla's ministry. So thank you. Thank you, Preston. Thank you, Kyla, for you. And uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll see you next year at Exiles again. Oh, I would love to be there. Thanks for everything <laughs> you do. And it's awesome to talk to you again. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network.